Thank you, Aaron. You may be seated. Boy, it has just been a, an amazing, amazing week, especially uh, for me. We were uh, surprised earlier uh, in the week with my uh, son and his girlfriend coming back from college and getting to spend time with them. We had Thanksgiving meal. We had lots and lots of, of turkey. We had naps. The Cowboys won. It was a, a great uh, weekend. And then uh, on, uh, I guess it was Saturday, uh, was my birthday. And that was a, a crazy day. I have to tell you a little bit about this. Um, birthdays haven't been bothering me. I'm like, you know, it's okay. You're getting a little bit older. But for some reason, it hit me that that 48 was really close to 50. I'm like, man, that's... Like, for some reason, it just kind of, it was like, I, I was kind of bummed out a little bit. I mean, I, I was like, I feel a little bit older. I was like, man, 48, I'm, I'm so long. And then my brother texted me. I'm in a group text with my brothers and my dad. And, and my brother said, you know, three more years and you'll be 50. And I'm like, my brother is an accountant and he can't do simple math. But I thought, I'm going to let it go. And then we're walking into Albertsons to, to go get a birthday cake because I get to go pick out my cake. And my wife looks at me, and we were talking about it, and I said, yeah, I can't believe I'm turning 48. And she says, Doug, you're turning 47. <laughs> and I was like, the most amazing weight was lifted off of me. I was like, I just got an extra year to my life. Like, I, am so, I was so excited. It was the best. So Saturday was a really, really good day because I can't count to 48. <laughs> But I am, I can't do the simple math. I had to send that uh, text to my brother and say, hey, I'm really sorry. I was judging you. It was me the whole time. So, uh, but man, it is, it is good to be back here together with all of you. Uh, and I, I'm glad we had some, some snow, but it cleared off and you were able to join us this morning because we're going to go into some really deep, deep waters this morning. You know, several months ago when we started this series on prepositions regarding God, it seemed pretty easy, you know. God is above and ahead and before. God is among, around, behind, below, under, and God is near, as we talked about last week. But if you'll recall, I tried to be really careful not to always follow that up with a noun or a pronoun. I wanted to say, God is near, and you would be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense, right? However, today's preposition presents us with a little bit of a problem. You see, the word for today is for. Now, for is in fact a preposition. That's what it does for its day job, but it also moonlights as a conjunction. Okay, I know none of this. My wife was trying to help me through all of this. So for those of you who are English majors and you understand this, I would love a quick tutorial after services. That would help me out a lot. But I wanted to look it up. And so maybe this will be helpful for you. Okay, uh, this, is, this is what uh, 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 an English scholar said regarding the, the, the use of for. The preposition for can play a benefactive proxy, durative, or purposive role in sentences. Meanwhile, the conjunction for means and works similarly to because and since. Did anybody in here get that? By proxy, 
purposive. I don't really, it doesn't help me at all. But, but here's what I know. Um, that might as well have been written in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Because it makes absolutely no sense to me. But here's the real deal. While other prepositions, at least in my mind, can end a sentence, he went ahead, they are below, for doesn't lend itself to that position. If I say she is going for, what are you going to ask? For what? So please don't get confused, okay? Like me, I'm already very confused, right? But I don't want to turn this into a grammar class, but the preposition for is just as dangerous spiritually as it is grammatically. Again, I can say God is above, or God is around, or God is near, and you'll all nod your heads in agreement. God is near, God is above, God is around. But if I say God is for, you kind of crane your head and lean in because you want to know what, or maybe who, is God for. Naturally, we want to say us. God is for us. And this is where the ice gets really, really thin. You see, so many people over the last several decades have been touting that God is for us. Specifically, as they stand in front of a TV uh, monitor in front of a camera and they look out on millions of people and they say, God is for you! And God wants you to be happy. And God just wants your light to shine so that He can just overwhelm you with gifts and happiness. But the thing is, the idea that God is for you or for us or God is for me has been something that has been around for a really long time. And honestly... It's caused lots and lots of problems. God can be for you, and in many respects, I do think he is for us. But using that statement as a rubber stamp has led to many atrocities in the name of God. How many wars have been waged because somebody believed that God was for them and their cause and what they think that they wanted and their land to be expanded. How many marriages have been wrecked? How many children have been neglected and families have been destroyed? How many relationships have been shattered? How many lives have been ruined? And how many sins have been committed all because someone believed that God was for them? I actually heard the story of a man who left his wife after 11 years along with their two kids. He was convinced that God had planned a young, attractive woman to work out in the same gym that he did. And when there happened to be an open treadmill next to her, 
He believed that God was leading him to a new life. He thought, he believed, and he verbally expressed that God was for his adultery, his divorce, and the tearing apart of his family. This is what God being for me can do to the people around you. When God is for you, that is one really bad preposition with some terrible implications. So I want to take just a few minutes this moment. We're going to skip through a few different folks in the Old Testament, ones you know really well. And I want to ask the question, was God for them? And then we're going to land in the New Testament, and we're going to be talking about the first century church and this guy who didn't seem to be for God, but man, he had something really profound to say. So let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis is the book of beginning, so that's a great place to start. We're just going to pick out one of the characters in there to start off. How about Abraham? Was God for Abraham? You know this series is about you participating, because it's going to be a really long, awkward silence if, if you don't say yes or no to this one. God is for Abraham. Can we have a show of hands? Is God for Abraham? Okay, so let me ask you a few questions. First off, though, we're introduced to Abraham and his, his family, his father's family, earlier on. But in Genesis chapter 12 is when God comes to Abraham and we get this call. God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I've talked about this a lot. If you think that God is for you and you want God to speak to you, buckle up. Because God always seems to ask you to do things that you really don't want to do over and over again. And we're going to see this. So my first question is, if God is for Abraham, why does he say, you got to leave your family? you got to leave your life. That does not sound like, to me, that God is for Abraham. How about this? Was God for Abraham? When he, slept with, when he slept with Hagar, his wife's maidservant? How about when he allowed said maidservant and the young child to flee from his abusive wife, Sarah? Was God for Abraham? When Abraham allowed that to happen. Or maybe later on, when Abraham told Hagar and her son Ishmael, his son, their son, you need to go because I have another child on the way and my wife will not allow you two to be in her presence any longer. Was God for Abraham at that moment? Was God for Abraham when he lied twice about his wife Sarah being his sister. If God is for, who or what is he for? So let me ask again. Is God for Abraham? This is what I really think. I think as we read that story... we should respond with this. 
God is for faithfulness. This is the story of Abraham. This, despite his lies, his debacles, his infidelity, despite the fact that we now have wars waged between the people who came from the Ishmaelites and the Israelites. God's story is that he is for faithfulness. Even when Abraham wasn't faithful to his wife, even when Abraham wasn't faithful in the fact that he would lie to other people to protect himself, God said this is a story about a God who is faithful even when his followers aren't always as faithful. Let's go ahead and stay in Genesis for just one more minute. How about, how about Joseph? Was God for Joseph? There's fewer yeses than there were. When I said Abraham, you're like, yes! And now I said, Julie's still sticking with her yes. If God was, if God was for Joseph, how did he end up in a well? If God is all-powerful, and God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere, why is Joseph in a bottom of the well as he's listening to his brothers decide whether or not they're going to kill him or not? If God is for Joseph, how did he almost die by his own brothers? How did he end up in Egypt? And how did he end up in prison if God is for Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. But this is what I get as I read through his life. God is for life, changing forgiveness. The story of Joseph is such an amazing story. But I don't think it's just about God being for Joseph. I think it's about God is for people who will have life changing forgiveness that drastically changed everything in Joseph's life. And of course, if we're going to go in the Old Testament and we're going to jump from people to people, it just fits perfectly. It's, it's my favorite Old Testament character. What about Jonah? Is God for Jonah? Here's the kicker. This is the funny part about that question is that Jonah is convinced the answer is yes. And that's the big, big with Jonah. It's not the fish. That's not the big deal. The big deal is Jonah is confused and he thinks that God is for him. And God is for Israel. And so when God says, go to Nineveh, which happens to be the capital of Assyria, the really bad guys who are in just a few decades going to come in and rout the Israelites and carry them off into captivity, Jonah says, God is for me and God is for my people and I will not go there because God doesn't really want that at all. And instead, he takes a boat going the opposite direction. God sends a fish. The fish is going to keep Jonah for a few days, three nights stay. It's not the most lovely of places. He ends up grossly being puked out on the beach 
And now he says, I'm going to go to Nineveh. But it doesn't get any better, folks. Read the story of Jonah. It takes three days to travel across Nineveh. Jonah goes in a half day, right? He's nowhere near the center. And he says five words in Hebrew, which basically are, you're going to die. That's what he says. And then he goes up on a hill, and because God is for Jonah, and because God is for Israel, Jonah sits there waiting for God to destroy those people. And Jonah misses out. Because he expects God to make everything perfect. In fact, that's the, the punchline of Jonah is that he's upset that while he's waiting for over 120,000 people to die, to be smoked as fire comes down from heaven, he gets mad because his little shade tree dies and he's sitting there in the sun. And he thinks, God is for me. Why is this happening? And so it's really simple. God is for repentance for a people down there who were so terrible and awful to recognize their ways to clothe themselves and their animals in sackcloth and to fast this wasn't about a prophet from Israel sitting on top of a hill it was about repentance and then there's Jesus. Was God, what was God there for? If God is for Jesus, does that mean he was for the slander? Was God for the beatings? Was God for the lies? The execution? The humiliation? What was God for? God was for salvation. God was for the salvation of all mankind through the sacrifice of His Son. And so the question I want to ask you is, is God for you? So real quickly, I want to jump into Acts chapter 5. We have just a, a few minutes left, and so I'll summarize what's going off on the high priest uh, and uh, some of the, the leaders there, uh, they were upset. The Sadducees were a part of this group. They were mad that the apostles were going around and not only speaking of Jesus, they were claiming that it was their fault that Jesus uh, had, had been crucified. And so I want to uh, pick up here in verse 27. Uh, they, they bring in some of the apostles, uh, well, prior to this, they arrest them. They put them in jail. Great story. you got to read Acts. It's such a fun book. So they're in prison. Angel of the Lord comes to them, opens up the door and says, Hey, you guys go out. I want you to go preach out in, in the temple courts. Right? And so they go out and preach. Uh, they're, they're headed that way. In the meantime, the guards go to get the apostles. They go there and they see, they look inside the cell and it's empty. They go back to the high priest. And they say, hey, th 
the door's locked, but they're not in there. And they're like, what in the world could have happened? And then some other people came running in and said, hey, the guys you locked up, they're in the temple courts. They're preaching. So let me pick up real quickly in verse 27. It says, having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, they said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. If you go back and read the Gospels, it's crazy how they're like, we'll take on the blood. We, we will wear the blood uh, of, of Jesus. We'll, we'll carry that guilt. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those to obey him. Now listen to this. When they heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put him to death. And I just think that's so funny. The people are like, no, no, no. We didn't kill this guy. Like, we're innocent. Like, Two sentences later, they're like, we want to kill you. Like, murder is in their veins. They just can't, they can't help themselves. But listen to this. I love this verse 34. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in, the present, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. He's like, listen, if this is a case that God is for, then nothing can stop you from stop, nothing can allow you to stop these men. They're just going to keep going on. But if not, they'll just go away. And so I just want to ask this question really quickly as we close. Does it matter if God is for you? Absolutely. But let me ask you this. And I think this is the question we need to be thinking about this week. Are you for God? It's easy to say, is God for what I want? Is God for my happiness? Is God for my career? Is God for my health? But what about you? What are you really for? Are you for God? Jonah was all about himself. Are you for repentance? I know you're for repentance. 
of people around you. That's pretty easy. We can quickly identify people who we think need to repent. Is, is God for your repentance? Are you for repentance? Are you for forgiveness? Are you for salvation of all people? This is a tough preposition to tackle. Because ultimately it comes back to us and we have to be willing to ask. And I hate to borrow this from, from JFK, but I'm going to. Instead of asking what God can do for you, maybe this week we need to ask what we can do for God and His people. His broken people. The people, his people that live next door. His people that are going to be shopping at Walmart next to you. His people that are going to be calling you on the phone, asking you if you want to add a warranty to your car. His people who are going to be on the other end of the line when you call customer service. His people who are going to be on the TV and they call themselves Republicans and Democrats, conservatives and liberals, donkeys and elephants. Those are his people. Are we going to be for God? You know, what really Acts 5 is about is that God is for the spreading of the gospel. And as they walked out of prison, they could have said, wow, that was really close. Let's get out of here. I don't want to be back in this place again. Instead, they said, God is for the teaching of Jesus. And we are for God. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And so this week, I want to challenge you to think about how you can be for God for his repentance, forgiveness, and offering of salvation as you share the gospel with people this week. I encourage you to be with him this week. Please join us as we stand and sing this morning.